Welcome to the Missouri Wind and Solar Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Shank, coming to you from our store in Seymour, Missouri. Each week with my co-host and Missouri Wind and Solar's general manager, David McDerris, we discuss the latest on self-reliant energy. Check out our additional educational information, including dates for our hands-on workshops conducted in Seymour, on our website, windandsolar.com. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing. Is a off-grid or grid tie, but we'll just say off-grid. Is an off-grid home more susceptible or less susceptible, would you think, you're than, be than less, the grid? You're going to be less susceptible, and the, the reason for that has to do with antenna length, right? Mm-hmm. If I've got a 100-foot even of solar panel cable, and it's 10-gauge PV cable, and I've got my panels running through it, that's not a very big antenna in the grand scheme of things when you have hundreds of thousands of miles of power line all across the globe right. that in the United right. States, everyone but Texas, they're all hooked together. So it's even one big antenna. So even like little Semino here, they've mm-hmm. got their hundreds of miles, mm-hmm. and it's just a big antenna laid out. Yes, it's yeah. a huge antenna. And they're hundreds of miles connected to thousands, thousands of, of miles, miles. Mm-hmm. because they're buying their electricity. They're not... It's not coming just from one producing source of theirs mm-hmm. and into their customers only. They're buying this from, in the northern part, they're buying maybe from Laclede or whoever down in the south. Mm-hmm. To the west, it's Webster and then White River. I mean, so they're buying from all these different feeder companies and they're mm-hmm. feeding the, the power. Okay. Into the- all right. So I've got one. I want to, I got a final question. I want to hit it with the CME before we move on to EMP. Mm-hmm. But if you got anything else to add before I hit you with the final question. Go ahead. What's the million dollar okay. question? So the so the final question for me is, we get news that a CME is coming. Mm-hmm. I've got my house over here. I've got my mm-hmm. solar array. I got my tower. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do? Okay. So the good thing about most CME, even something like the Carrington event, is the intensity is not going to be as great as a solar EMP. At least that's what they always tell us, right? So your first procedure there is going to be. Before you do anything else, make sure all the other people that you know that you care about are also informed about this because you're going to have a limited time frame for communication afterwards. A Carrington-type event, very likely cell phone communications will be down for months, if not years. So be aware of that. Anybody that you need to tell to prepare themselves in case they don't hear this news, contact them first. The next thing you would need to do if you were here at WorkWest would be to rush home and shut off your solar panels. Specifically... Because that's where your antenna is. Now, at. when you say shut off, we're just saying you need to go out there disconnect. with a disconnect with your, with your mm-hmm. spanner wrench mm-hmm. and pop all get those MC4s. Get, right. get them released. Now, do I need to pop them off if they're from panel to panel? If my series no, are if you're if you're wired in series strings, you're oftentimes going to have ferrites installed on those series strings, and there's no need to climb up there. 10 feet in the air to the top of these solar trackers and disconnect. Just my incoming wire mm-hmm. that's coming into my mechanical room. Yep. So you'll disconnect out at your combiner box on each tracker for your particular system. So you have a combiner box. You'll be able to turn the breakers off, physically disconnect the cables. After you do that, you'll go back inside and you'll disconnect your equipment on your mechanical room side. Now that you've done that. Now, is that, that wind and solar? Wind and solar. Yep. We'll have disconnects in all those locations. So I'm taking my tower down. Don't necessarily need to take it down. You'll disconnect it inside. Again, if the circuit's yeah. not complete, you can't induce a field. Okay. So if, if you can't, if you don't have a positive and a negative that complete a circuit, no electrons are going to flow through it. Okay. So as long as we're disconnected in one or two points, that's important. Okay. You know, truthfully, you could probably just disconnect the positive, but 
you're going to have the potential for cases. I'm right there. Might as well go ahead and pop them both. Undo them both. Right. So following that, your next step would be to go ahead and kill your AC circuits in your breaker box. Once you've done that, you can begin the procedure for shutting down your charge controller and your power inverter and physically disconnecting them. This would be where having some sort of a smaller auxiliary pack, like a battery inside of a metal case or something of that nature that you can use to simply monitor radio frequencies would be important. You have a cheap $15 radio that takes AA batteries, maybe you have a couple of them. You turn that one on to a local station and you keep it on. You do that. Well, if that radio gets killed, you know that the CME is here now all of a sudden, right? And as long as the batteries are still good. But you're going to need to, especially in the event of a CME, you're going to need to wait probably a few days before you re-energize equipment. The problem with that, of course, becomes people are worried about their freezers and this and that. One way to look at how you're going to know if the CME is over or the intensity is, is reduced, <laughs> if right? There's some sparking when you. <laughs> well, well, not just that. David David hit exactly exactly on the head when he said that you know the Northern Lights or Aurora Borealis are an indicator of you know solar activity. We live in in Seymour, Missouri, Van Zant, Missouri. We don't see the northern lights here. If you see the know, northern lights, <laughs> if you know that there's a CME and you look up and you see the northern light and every all the power grid and everything's down west and you don't hear any cars running out on the road, there's still a CME going on. That's pretty obvious. After the northern lights would kind of recede, that's going to be a good indicator at that point. Okay, that the that, it, that is kind of ended or has subsided to the point that you can begin re-energizing equipment. One nice thing about the way your system will be established is going to be that you have redundant inverters. So you'll be able to turn on one, energize it, make sure everything still works, make sure that the moment you turn it on, it doesn't get fried again, right? If you can turn that unit back on, you're going to be okay to completely re-energize the rest of the system. If it if you turn it back on and poof, something goes bad, well, you probably didn't wait long enough. But because you have another inverter, you're ready to go. And that's where we, we get into preparation for lots of different events, which is, like you were saying, spare parts. Right? Uh, one is none and two is one. There you go. I'm going to interject a question in here yep. before we have to move on. Uh-huh. Uh, so becoming very, very popular in the – Alternative energy world is lithium batteries, which mm-hmm. all have a BMS. I say all. Mm-hmm. All I know of have a BMS system, so they mm-hmm. have a a brain, so-called computer in them that's actually keeping them. Mm-hmm. What Wes's case, you have multiple cells going to be connected uh-huh. together, and they're going to have all these little wires running. Do those need to be disconnected away from those cells? You would not need to disconnect them individually from the cells. It might not be a bad idea in his configuration to go ahead and unhook the wiring harness, which is a simple single plug. Truth be told, smaller electronic devices like lights and things of that nature that are going to be inside of a metal cabinet, such as Wes's metal electrical or mechanical room, are going to be more protected from that, right? A good indicator that you've got a decent amount of shielding is if you go into a room and you have no cell phone service. That's a good start, right? right? That's not the end-all, be-all, but it's a good start. So between that and the ability to unhook that wiring harness, that'll be good for him. You can also disconnect equipment like the simplifies. You have a breaker on top. You can physically turn that off and interrupt that circuit. Well, if you do that, the simplifies are also in an aluminum case, and they're totally sealed. Light, radio waves, they don't pass through metal very well. When you've got an eighth-inch aluminum case, you have shielding built right. into the battery. 
Not all batteries that way. Some of them are plastic case. Yeah, the BMS said, will be the, in the beginning ones were plastic. Mm-hmm. So. The BMS will be at more risk. Faraday bags, things of that nature, can be used to help protect the equipment. They make Faraday blankets even that you can buy. But your big one, like in Wes's case, would be to simply unhook it, and it's already in a good mechanical room. So you unhook one little plug, you grab it, pull it loose, it's done. It, it takes no time. Okay. So we got any more questions about? I know we bounced around a little bit, but we'll. Wrap up CME. We'll go for just a quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a look and talk about the EMP. Okay, we're going to move on. I know we've kind of touched on it, but with a lot of the stuff with the CME, but there's obviously a lot of crossover. Let's talk about what an EMP looks like, and I know that's probably the one that that really there's not a lot of. Let me back up and say, I think most of the information about this is a some conjecture because there hasn't really been an event that is anything that we can all point to and say, this happened to us all, you know. Right. So let's kind of walk through the, the difference between an EMP and a CME is I would guess mostly is that EMP is something we kind of did to ourselves. <laughs> man, man did that one. Man, yeah. When we're talking about an EMP, are we basically still talking about the same kind of issues that we have with the CME? Yes. Yeah, we're still talking about the same type of issues, and in some ways it's going to be much more dangerous, right? If you're too close to the detonation site, nothing is going to protect anything because you're going to be burnt to a crisp. Is there anything that's natural about an EMP? I mean, does it happen if, you know, we go rub two magnets together, do we get an EMP that... The closest thing you can get to that is a nearby lightning strike, but they're really not, they're not, not even in the same classification. Is the range of that just associated with the power of it? I mean, is it power, altitude, environmental factors? I think it's, there again, it's kind of a speculation deal because nobody wants to do this test because this test could cause catastrophic events across the, across the world. It's commonly thought if it's set off in our atmosphere and the higher the level, basically line of sight is going to be affected. And what happens when it gets up there is it, it magnifies itself instead of just being like a direct hit on a, like say a nuclear weapon was detonated on land. There's not a lot of line of sight for it to begin with. And it doesn't, it can't connect all the, basically the energy in the, the stratosphere together. Their thought is that it multiplies very rapidly and, and causes a huge blackout, a huge pulse of electromagnetic pulse at that point really shoots at the earth. I mean, anything in the line of sight of it then is affected by it, you know. But it sounds like the good news of that, if there is such a thing, is that though it is limited. I mean, a CME keeps roasting the earth every time we turn, right? Well, yes, but it ends, right? The thing about the about a CME that is beneficial to you is that you have warning. So equipment can be disconnected. The power lines right. may be able to be brought back online. You do you, you end up in a situation where with an EMP there is no warning, right? Maybe maybe the Pentagon knows, but they're not going to have time to give you an early warning. Right. Okay, West, go call your loved ones. This is when you look at like the fictional side of it, when you have one second after, right? right. And he gets a phone call and it, it lasts no time at all. And suddenly now his watch doesn't work and his phone's dead. At best, that's the type of warning you're going to have. What that means is, is that more infrastructure will be irreparably damaged 
by such an event. Power lines literally melt off of the poles type of situation, and now you have no infrastructure to rebuild. Right? It, it's much easier to fix a car that's been in a wreck, but you still have parts that you can fix it with, and maybe you had a chance to slow down than the car that just totally falls off of a bridge and lands 200 right. feet down. You, you can't repair it. There's nothing there that's reusable. So in our prep of this, favorite thing I like to is we talk about Faraday cages, right? Mm-hmm. And almost everyone probably in the United States at least has a Faraday cage in their home today. Just right? about. Just about. <laughs> and that's in the form of a microwave. And it's, and it's warming up your cup of noodles. <laughs> yeah. Now, that does raise another interesting question, though, and that has to do with wavelength, right? So when to get into electromagnetic pulses or electromagnetic energy in general, you have to discuss wavelength to some degree, right? Ultra-high frequency, that sort of a thing. The waves are very close together. Microwaves are very close together. The one threat you have with an EMP is that it's very broadband. So it, you're going to go from fairly high frequency all the way up to into potentially close to microwave radiation. What that means is, is the shielding provided by a microwave will not be complete, because it's designed to shield from microwave radiation. But the idea is the, the same. Idea is right? the same. I mean, yes, the idea is the same. We're going with the. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, the idea is the same. You need an insulative container grounded to earth in some way that is then insulated inside to prevent conduction. With a proper Faraday cage, I've read this. I can't remember. I'm, I know you, and I know you'll know this. The way that a microwave can have a window on it mm-hmm. is how that holes. Are the holes are the correct size so that the wavelength can't escape. Right. So visible light can get through because of the wavelength. But again, electricity, electromagnetic electricity specifically, like radio waves, are technically a form of light. That's why visible light is allowed to escape because of the size of the holes. The heat, if you will, can't figure out how to get through the holes? Basically, yeah. Yeah, it can't escape through the holes where the amount that does is so low that it's not dangerous to you. Okay. With a true Faraday cage that we're looking at, can you do the same or is it? Yeah, a lot of times you can do the same. Better units are not going to have that though. So a real popular material is going to be like a fine bronze mesh and balsa wood. That tends to make a good Faraday cage for fairly broadband. Truthfully, steel and concrete can kind of do the same thing though. You know, it Earth can protect you just as well. Again, it's a type of light. It can only go so far through different materials. I thought you had told me at one point concrete was an issue. Concrete being conductive can be an issue if you're in contact with it. But if you're not in contact with it, remember, we need a conductive material to shunt it to Earth. So if you have everything insulated from the concrete, it can help. Okay, but how is concrete... If you're talking about a slab in a house... Right. How is it not... It's still grounded. Te- I mean, right, right, and <laughs> right, and it, and it what is. What am I missing here? But you've also got like your you've got your your poured concrete for your driveway that extends out through that, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the ability to help because it's because you're not sealed up in all directions. Light will bounce off of a mirror. Well, electrons will bounce off of concrete in some ways as well, though, right? So if you have the front of the house open, you now have just made a big funnel to channel all of this in. Okay. Without sufficient other materials to help prevent it, you can end up in a situation where you still get that electromagnetic pulse inside it. Now, like the sides of your earth-bermed home and that sort of a thing, you've got the concrete, but you also have large amounts of dirt to help prevent that. Okay. So it's kind of like saying, you know, well, you know, is wood's an insulator, but it's not a fantastic one. If you've got a log home, 
the walls are fairly well insulated, but not the same as if you were to put fiberglass insulation and frame walls up inside it. So it's still an insulator, but lots of materials have different properties based upon their thickness and what you're really looking for. Okay. So right. in my situation mm-hmm. where I've got the house is earth burned on three sides, mm-hmm. the front of it's brick, but there are. Mm-hmm. There are openings, but yeah. So am I still in a situation where I need to build a full on full scale metal box for the mechanical? It's going to be beneficial to you. And again, we'll be able to do some testing on that to determine where we need to be at. But it, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if this is something we seriously want to protect ourselves against, the more layers of protection you have, the better. Okay. Is something as simple as like a galvanized, just normal galvanized steel as far as, as a you know exterior to it, is that... Is that helping or is that... It definitely helps. It definitely helps provided you... Because it sheds the electron, basically, right? They're going to conduct them, but if they have a path to ground, that's where it's going. Yeah. So, and again, you know, it, it it's as simple as... Ground, though, yeah, it needs to have a path key, to ground. That, that's the key. the key to that. Yeah. You can't just set it up there. Yeah, you can't just have it Put there. Put it on plastic up in the air. There's yeah. no path to ground. There's no path to ground. Yeah. So. And so that that's really the, the key factor here is the ability to direct the energy someplace else. That's all a Faraday cage even really yeah. does. It doesn't stop the energy, right? We, we can't do that. We're, we don't have some sort of special magical power to stop energy from transmitting. But we can direct it where we want it to go, right? We can divert that river over here. We can't stop the flow and, of the river yeah, eventually, well, but and we that's can divert a, it. I think that's another good question. So when you're talking about this, I think you're you're talking on a scale where – Everything else inside that house, I mean, everything else inside that house, we've got an idea of how much power is literally going through there. Mm-hmm. So what is this like in the power scenario for the ground that you need? I mean, obviously, you can't run you know, speaker wire and unbend an old coat hanger and jam it in the wall and think that's your ground. So what, I mean, what kind of grounding do you need to be able to? So generally, your your home electrical ground is going to be a number six gauge wire is going to be the most common that you're going to see for most homes. A wire like that should be sufficient going to a ground rod. And the, especially with an EMP, part of the reason for that, just like I was discussing with the varisistors earlier, most varisistors have like a 14-gauge wire on them. They're very, very small. But it's the duration that becomes the problem. So, you know, since it happens instantaneously, a number six wire isn't going to fuse it. 10,000 amps, because that 14-gauge sure isn't going to. They've tested it a plenty, and it works fine. So you're not going to melt that wire during that instantaneous pulse. And if you can prevent the buildup during, like, a CME, where it's not constantly building up and getting hotter and hotter because you have a path to ground rather than just letting it hit the metal roof and act like an antenna, it has a place to dissipate the energy. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask my last question again. Unless Okay. So you've said... You know, we have very little, if any, kind of warning about one of these events because it's a an insidious mm-hmm. sort of thing. But what are our – I would assume if for some reason we knew it was going to happen, we do the same thing that we would do with yeah. the CME. Yeah, same, yeah. same exact same thing. Same exact thing. But what do we do to mitigate that if – you know, we don't know it's going to happen, and hmm. is well, there is there it, much you can do? The deal is, is I, really, I don't think you will ever know that it's going to happen unless you hear the your alarm on your phone mm-hmm. go off. And, and literally, I, I really think if, if you hear that, you will hear that for just seconds before it actually turns off because mm-hmm. it's too late. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't, just like light waves, it's got to reach you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it, just, it might not have 
got to you yet. More than likely, it's it's already mm-hmm. got you, and more than likely, it's some type of an attack. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's somebody yeah. that's all a, right. You know. If I've got my systems hooked up at home, mm-hmm. my solar panels are running into my charge controller, mm-hmm. everything's running, it's gone. Not necessarily. That's what these protection devices are for, right, is to help prevent that sort of a damage. That's what your various issues are for. That's why you have proper grounding and that sort of a thing. This is a situation where we know for sure, if it's unhooked, that it's going to have a very high survival. Okay, and that's really my question. So we is the fix for this that two is one? I mean, that is the if, ultimate if fix. I've got, that if is I've the got ultimate another guarantee. one sitting in a box mm-hmm. that's not hooked up to anything, if mm-hmm. it's sitting outside... As long as it doesn't get rained on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I say, literally, if the circuit's not complete, I mean, it, there's been lots of different places that will do EMP testing. They'll take like like a metal flashlight, right? If the flashlight's running and it's got a metal housing, even though it has an LED light in it, they hit it with a, a huge pulse, more than the standard testing for military specs. The flashlight still works. It's got a metal case. It's got shielding, right? You do that same test with a plastic flashlight and it dies forever. Similarly, you take radio equipment, anything like that that they put in there when they do that testing. And if it's connected and energized without ferrites, without surge protection devices, it's cooked. If it has ferrites and surge protection devices, you're usually looking at a 70% survivability from the testing I've seen. 70% is not 100%, but it's a whole lot better than zero if you don't have the protection. If it's in plastic, you know it's going to die. Yes. (laughs) Right. It's, uh, so, yes, to answer your question, the ultimate preparation for anything is always to have another one on hand. That just becomes a matter of system cost and what you feel like you need to have on hand. You know, if an event like that occurs, your life changes a lot. You're probably not going to be using a computer anymore for work. Right. You've got other things that you need to be concerned about. So you'll need, you would want to have a contingency plan on what you truthfully need. Netflix is now... What DVDs do you actually have? Right. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's back at that point, you know, mm-hmm. when you call and ask about systems, I mean, about critical loads, you know. Mm-hmm. So Lights, we don't put water TVs in our critical load deal, but you might. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a matter of, you know, really at that point. Okay. Fresh water and way to contain your, mm-hmm. keep your food mm-hmm. uh, safe, which would be for refrigeration or freezing. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think think I've got my questions answered. Is there anything we need to add as a wrap up on this? I think the the thing for everybody to know taken out of this and this is not gloom and doom. There will be one of these events happen. Yeah, the CME is just a, always it, it, been a question of it's, time. It's just a question of time when it will happen. Yep. Uh, we hope the EMP never happens because yep. there again, that's probably more of an that, attack. And the CME may may not be in our, any of our yeah, lifetimes, but it's going to happen, happen again. I mean, it's you know happened. I'm sure in 1859 we knew about it because we had copper wires now strung on a pole, so we had a reason to know that it did happen. We had Whereas an antenna. In 1800 <laughs> that wasn't ran on the poles. It could have happened then just as easily then. We just didn't know it. You know, I mean, there was nothing that, there was nothing that besides the, there again, the Northern Lights went crazy. We're like, oh, look at that, how pretty that is when you was up there. But now then it's, you know, now then it's, we're very susceptible to it because of all the electronics that we use in daily life. So, And it, it should be mentioned as well that most modern electronics and modern, you know, what we call daily life like that has all happened during a period of relatively low sun activity. Right. So the, probability will increase continually 
as sun activity increases, which we're entering a, another solar cycle or just have, yep. that is, and it's going to continue to get worse. It, the sun runs in, I want to say, 12-year solar cycles is what they what they claim there. And so you'll continue to see that more and more. Mm-hmm. And so your probability just keeps going up for a bad coronal mass ejection. Okay. All right. Well, Sam, I appreciate you. We pulling you off the sale desk for about an hour to sit down and talk right, with us. And uh, don't worry, I've still got all that other stuff ready for us to do out at the property. Okay. So I, I stuff to look I, forward I, I to. I figured I'd wait for you to put the cane down before we went back out there. So. Uh, oh yeah, get out the Bengay and the Tylenol. <laughs> we'll, we'll head back over there. <laughs> uh, McDerris, you're useless. You didn't. Even, you didn't even volunteer to go over there. You just hey, somebody had to watch the shot. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for for checking out this podcast, and we appreciate you tuning in today. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today. If you have a question you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast or just want to say hello, email us at radio at windandsolar.com. As always, check out our store at windandsolar.com and buy some stuff. Your financial support underwrites our educational outreach like the podcast, YouTube channel, and local STEM collaboration. It also keeps Lucy and her doggy chicken treats. Thanks again for listening.